Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you so much for being here for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. I am Jennifer K. Hill, the CEO of OptiMatch and host of this show. It is a pleasure to bring to you today a very special guest who I have the privilege of knowing and getting to know over the last three years that I've been living in Lisbon, Dr. Miguel Ribeiro, who is not only an author of a wonderful book that we're going to be talking about today called Beyond Darwin. He is also an incredibly talented photographer who I believe just finished an exhibition in New York and is a traditional MD as well. Miguel, thanks so much for being here with us. Mm, thank you very much for hosting me, Jennifer. It is my pleasure. Obrigada, as we say here in Portugal. <laughs> so we are going to be talking today about Miguel's book. So Miguel and I first connected when I moved to Portugal about three years ago. And I happen to mention something around the idea of consciousness and the shows that I was doing with Deepak and Don at the time. And Miguel pulled aside and said, oh, Jennifer, I'd love to talk to you about a book I wrote called Around the Program Hypothesis. So I was just really interested and fascinated, and Miguel graciously gave me a copy of the book, and I'm excited to share a few tidbits with it, with you from it today. And Miguel, I thought it would be helpful to start off with maybe a little backstory of how you became inspired to write the book Beyond Darwin, and what is the program hypothesis? How could I begin? I was most, most interested in photography, and but in 2006, Somehow, I I was going to queue for some uh, subscription and bought a National Geographic magazine. In it, there was a, an article by Carl Zimmer, which translated to Portuguese. This is a Portuguese edition, translated to English, would be something like the fin, the limb, and the wing. I learned that the, the spe- precursor species already had the genetic machinery for structures that they didn't have. So what this means in, in, with an example is that the fish precursor of land animals already had the genetic machineries for limbs and digits, although they had fins. And this struck me irreconcilable with the Darwinian evolution, with the, the randomness of Darwinian evolution, because of the intrinsic anticipation in evolution. And I thought about it for a day or two, and and then it just went off my mind. I was then busy with mainly photography and matching. And then in 2008, so I have a friend, a good friend, that was a well-known composer of contemporary music, and we decided to do some films, short films with music, and for that I started sequencing photographs. Uh, so... I had to scan hundreds, so I was developing black and white photographs and started scanning hundreds and hundreds, actually over a thousand negatives. And during that, I was used not to ever see television, started seeing films of National Geographic discovery and that kind of thing, and became interested in science, started reading books, and that was in about 2008. In 2010, I was reading a book by Paul Davis, with the Goldilocks Enigma, and uh, in it, uh, it was dismissing one after the other the various possibilities of a universe by chance. 
And, and suddenly, it uh, just occurred to me that if we replace randomness with a program, everything would be instantly. And I was quite excited with the idea, revived the National Geographic uh, magazine article of Carl Zimmer, and started writing on the idea that, uh, that pro- the mutation was programmed rather than random. And why, the, why biology for a random universe? Because if a universe hosts life, the most complex thing known, that appeared by accident and evolves by a random mutation, by DNA copying errors, then that universe has to be random. And, and that's the beginning of the story. And the initial idea was, in fact, that uh, so we, in, in the human genome, only 2% are genes, and genes are dedicated to the synthesis of proteins, so that the big bulk of the human genome is what they call junk DNA. And, and junk DNA had to be junk for evolutionists because it doesn't obey natural selection. It's independent of natural selection. We have an in, a, a enormous amount of DNA that is independent of their natural selection. If that, that DNA evolves in a coherent manner, then that surely sh- would challenge the, the Darwinian principle and uh, of purposeful, purposelessness and randomness. And, and uh, so I started exploring the idea, went on to, to search for that possibility of people that thought that junk DNA could host that program in the genome because there must be a program to control the activity of genes. And, and then suddenly I realized with, with great disturbance, the personal descent, because I was a Darwinian until then, and ethics all my life, not all my life, but since late adolescence, that a programmer is implicit in a program. And so this would be a creationist explanation. And we all know that although believers are 100% creationist, the term creationist has a terrible connotation and it's really bad news. And, and that disturbed me for almost a month, almost physically. And then I decided from then on that I was going just simply to try to go over any preconceptions and try to make the case of a, a theory just based on facts, on data gathered by scientists, irrespective of interpretation, because that's where we are. I, it essentially differ from conventional uh, science, conventional, what we say, mainstream interpretation. So basically, I would say that's that. I found it fascinating, Miguel. When I was reading the book, I didn't realize this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said something in there that one of the many reasons that Darwinian evolution by natural selection is an impossibility, which is something that Deepak and Don and I have also spoken about in our episodes, is that it violates the second law of thermodynamics. Am I remembering that correctly about things getting, you can't go from uncertainty to certainty, correct? Something along those lines? Yes. Uh, in fact, we, the problem of mainstream science, mainstream thinking, is that we start with a random universe. The initial soup of particles, according to Ossenfelder, is just that it's a structureless plasma of particles. And, and Penrose calls it system internal equilibrium, which is the maximum of disorganization. And yet, so to go from there into a complex thing is impossible, theoretically, because of the second law of thermodynamic that dictates the opposite direction of things. And 
So the claim that gravity is the ingredient that can make the difference, which I that would take too long now here for as an explanation, but you can find why it's a fix rather than a sound uh, principle. And but the central idea of this the book is actually that randomness cannot generate complexity. And and so we live in a complex universe unquestionably. So it's made up of layers of structures, all interconnected by codes, protocols, hierarchies of feedback regulations. Also, like programmed constructions, it they, it's modular, and it has integrated outcomes, and it evolves in a meaningful way. So random systems, totally random systems, only have random outcomes and and which is something totally different from what we have so it doesn't nothing fits in with a except i i could possibly say that and i think that's one of the problems of darwinism is that i think most modern science has borne out of the contestation of the religious explanation so in fact that the earth doesn't have 600,000 years it's not the center of the universe. The astral bodies are not magically or by miracle in, in, in equilibrium in the, in, in the firmament, but they obey universal laws of physics. And then Darwin came with a theory that is plausible and that dispenses the way the presence of a God. So it tells us that we descend from bacteria and, not, and we're not created on the image of God. So with these premises, we eventually, they say, religion is wrong. Any obstacles that come to this explanation, this scientific explanation, will eventually be solved. And this has basically been the the position of science. On the other hand, we have to remember there were only two players on the table, the religious explanation and Darwinism, the Darwinian way of thinking that extended to all of science. And so... Well, this brings us to the next player on the table, which is the program hypothesis, because now we can mention a few, but Darwinism is just plagued with contradictions. So it's no longer just purposeless and randomness, because most, even life from the beginnings, is instilled with purposefulness. Yeah, I find this so fascinating. One of the other things that I wanted to highlight in the book is you gave reference in the book to a couple of different types of coincidences that couldn't be explained by Darwinian evolution. Do you want to talk maybe about that and how that ties in as well to dark matter and the multiverse? So one of the usual explanations for the laws of the cosmic coincidences, so the exact recipe of laws of physics and 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 parameters, is the multiverse. But so there are infinite universes, so you can get also of substrates, the substrate of this universe are particles and radiation. And then for this would enable the, the theory, uh, all sorts of laws of physics and constants of nature that could then explain just this coincidence of ours happening. Maybe I can tell you the problems of that in just by telling you my view. So in this view, uh, and then we'll go backwards to that. So in this view, the universe is information and energy. And information is what I call the program of the universe. 
you can call it consciousness or whatever. But and this program prompts energy to yield the 17 fundamental particles. In other words, due to the equivalence of energy and mass or matter, you get the, these exact recipe of particles, which include the electron, the quarks, the various types of quarks, the gluons that bind quarks into nucleons and nucleons into nuclei, the Higgs boson that get, gives particles mass, the photon, etc., etc. And uh, and then, armed with the laws of physics, possible algorithmic structure, this program, following a predefined blueprint, writes the story of the universe. So if we don't accept a program, the implication is that we have to have these incredible coincidences, meaning the, by chance to have all these exact particles and to have these precise laws, etc. Another obstacle is that this multiverse assumption for the origin of the diverse laws <coughs> implies that laws are objects with the autonomous existence, and that can be, which is nonsense, because no, laws are specifically designed to control the interaction and actions of the agents in a system. So they're made specifically for systems. They don't exist by themselves. Also, laws lack causal power, meaning even if you have all the right ingredients, so you have exact particles, the precise laws, the, all the parameters, the mathematical equations that also enter the scheme, even then you need an inciting agent. You need a program to do to put everything in action. For example, you can't expect, so you don't expect the rules of chess to, to spark off again, or the grammar to, to, to write a text, those are the tra- and in, or the laws of movement to induce movement. So you have to have a program, an outside agent to, to do the thing. It, it's basically, that's the situation, yes. You can't uh, explain the universe otherwise. So it's not only the exact components, all the exact ingredients, but you need an inciting agent for it. Yeah, you gave a great example in the book, too, of like traffic laws. You said traffic laws, it's not like physics laws and traffic laws are similar. I just thought that was so interesting. Yes. It sounds like we've just convoluted science at the time that when that Darwinian evolution by natural selection emerged, it was because of the fact that you had, to your point, religion, and then you had, oh, not religion, Darwinian evolution. And yet we've learned so much. And it's from what I understand from a lot of my scientist friends, is it's not just Darwinian evolution by natural selection that's defunct. It's that even things like Einstein's theory of relativity, Newtonian physics are coming into question because you can't measure things below the Planck scale and so that's why I think whole new ways of thinking, which may be explained by your program theory, have to be considered in order to explain how these coincidences or these occurrences are happening in the universe. The program idea is just overall, it's overarching. And the idea that behind this is that the world starts quantum. The macroscopic world, the world of the physical world, is is an emergent from the quantum world. So 
we can do an, a trace analogy with a computer. And so what we have is a quantum world that doesn't define a narrow time. Everything can be done and undone. It has some peculiar properties. And then through quantum wave collapse, the Oricoenus, it goes into the macro world of that is the world where, where we move. And this world is has entirely different properties. It fall, it abides by the causality rule. It defines a matter of time. It's a deterministic action and reaction ability reproducible given the similar circumstances. And so there are two different realms. And this is why you can't join quantum and gravity. And so it's it, it just like that. And that's why the pursuit of a quantum gravity is a failed thing. It's, and so these are just, I have some a similar analogy, which is with a computer. You, with a computer, you have a flow of electrons. So if we just reduce to the bare minimum the workings of a computer, you have electricity coming into hardware and software. That's, that's essentially a flow of electrons, which is completely random. And the program converts that into electric signals, in patterns of electric signals, significant. And then those electric signals are converted by the other arm of the program into some display on the monitor, for example. With the, possibly the nearest analogy with, is with a computer game. Likewise, with the universe, you start with, you can, with a, with a random quantum realm and this program converts it into, into significant patterns. So the patterns of atoms that are the basis of our reality and which the brain of animals, the second arm of the program in the, in the other, the computer analogy transforms into the, the intelligible realm that's where we, that is our reality. So this tangible thing that we can understand because atoms are mostly empty space. So an atom, the nucleus of an atom, if an atom is the size of a football, <clears throat> of a football stadium, is like a nut in the center of the, the field. And uh, the, the, the electron is a pinhead uh, orbiting in the last row of seats. Wow. <clears throat> so an atom is also barely detectable in, in an immense void. And, and so this would be, this in, unintelligible construction is actually the real substrate of our universe. So what we see and hear and feel is just a, is a construction of our brain. It doesn't really exist. And, and for this construction made simply of atoms to be, to have consistency, to, to be meaningful and to evolve in a meaningful way, it has to be programmed and also pro, and also it's converted into an, again, an, another meaningful thing, which is the world of perception. So, so well, I, I can, program is controvertible in that sense. I appreciate all this. So I can hear the question in our listeners and viewers' minds. The question on everybody's mind is what about death? If there is just one big program running all of this, I know you touch on this in the book in the idea that 
I believe it's atoms in the universe, they don't change when you die, that they still exist. Can you explain for people out there who might be grappling with what does that mean if we as a human being die, plus it's just a computer program? Take, for example, water. You have, it's made up of two components, oxygen and hydrogen. They are inflammable inflammable gases at room temperature. Water is a liquid. And it's against if it's anti-combustible. In it, what this means is that you get two entirely different in two components, two chemicals, and that from that you get by emergence something else, something new with entirely new properties. Now, what is life from this point of view is a, the emergent feature from the independent evolution of nucleic acids and nucleotide chains in cytoplasm. And then you get something from this merging that is entirely new properties. So this is life. What is the, the, the life-defining feature? It's not reproduction, metabolism, the control management of energy. It's a sentient program. So what comes out from this merger is this central control that is capable of maintaining metabolism. And I call it sentient program because it can sense the interior of the cell and maintain its composition, that is homeostasis, within the extremely narrow limits compatible with life. And it senses the outside, the environment, and can take adaptive action and is able to detect nutrients, flight from noxious environments, find mates, etc. So essentially, this change from inert chemistry to life, it's, it can be, it, you can possibly grasp the, the magnitude of the jump by thinking that inert chemistry means a structure that is in the power of the physical and chemical influences of the environment and and a living creature is one that has causal power meaning it is capable of controlling the taking advantage and moving and changing the environment to its own advantage so this is from the, the onset of life as opposed to Futuimo thinks that human action is the only thing with purpose in the universe Actually, life is instilled with survival instinct and this purposeful action right from the outset. And and then, yeah, it's basically that. We can go then on. So this is the core of every living creature. And so eventually, perhaps with with the Cambrian explosion, so with the Cambrian and the evolution of sense organs and and uh, neural networks, a new form of emergence appeared, and consciousness was born from there. And finally, humans developed self-consciousness. But so these probably are the great markers on the evolution, and, uh, yeah, according to this idea. Now, you mentioned death. When a cell, so cells in the tissues... They are in cooperation, and sometimes cells have to die, and they receive orders from the environment 
for something called apoptosis. And what they do is they open pores and they lose their electrical potential and they rapidly die. So it's like life is dependent on the maintenance, so unstoppable maintenance of electrical potentials. And for that, it requires all the metabolism. So a person, a living creature, has a certain chemical composition, and but with death is exactly the same composition. And the idea is not that the soul left its organism, but simply his metabolism, his me, its metabolic machinery was now incapable of sustaining this, these electrical potentials across membranes and life just disappears instantly. Fascinating. I guess the final question I have for you today, Miguel, is there free will? If this is all programmed, what's to stop us all? Why even have free will if everything is already pre-programmed? Obviously, it, the idea here is that's a predefined story that, that is following. The blueprint is already laid out. And so it's a deterministic universe and probably no free will. And in fact, Ben Libet in the 80s showed that there's no free will in the strict sense of the world, the word. So meaning if you have self-awareness, it is as no executive fu function. So it serves as observers and commentators of the universe of ourselves and the environment, but is not is has no executive thing. And this was confirmed by Christoph Koch very few years ago with functional magnetic resonance. And imagine that you have a subject being tested, and the person at doing the the, the magnetic res the functional magnetic resonance can know if the person being tested is going to press the green or red button before the person being tested knows what he's going to do because there is an action from the non-conscious area of the brain that takes the decision, then that impulse reaches conscious areas of the brain and then the motor uh, cortex that determines that. And so you can trace that, that this, this action from non-conscious actions of the non-conscious portion of the brain uh, takes a little lag of time and but the observer from the fMRI can say he's going to do that now, and it will be this movement. And so before, and the person only has consciousness of what's going to happen when the impulse reaches the conscious area of the brain. Yeah. And what happens is we get an illusion of agency when when this impulse reaches, because we think that this is when we decide to do something, and that decision is within our is our decision. Now, this is in the strict sense. Obviously, there's no free will in that sense. But why is there personal responsibility? Because the impulse came from the same self, from a different layer of the individual, but it's the same individual, so he's responsible. I don't know if I was clear in the subtlety. Yeah, but, uh, I think I understand what, what I'm hearing you say, Miguel, just to repeat this back, is on a biological standpoint, technically there's not free will according to the program hypothesis. However, at a agent, if you want to call it that yeah. standpoint, the individual level, it does resonate or it does come from, emerge from the individual that is then 
provoking the action. Is that correct? Yes. But imagine that you have a bee colony and that bee colony has a certain... So you're a programmer and that bee colony is going to evolve in this way. And if after so many thousands of generations, it's evolving some other insect, etc. And everything stipulated. Is that on an individual level strict as, as it appears? Probably not, because this is likely an algorithm-based program where which the averages are the important thing. So you, many bees can be killed and others are blown out by the wind, etc. But the program, so these little sideways, uh, the importance is that these converge into the avenues of the program and eventually things. So there may be, a, a, so we, we don't know, but it's not impossible that everything stip- is stipulated like in any PC program, but it's likely that there is some freedom it's not maybe freedom of choice, yeah, perhaps, uh, and that. But the average of, of large numbers bring everything into the fulfillment of the what was pre-planned. Thank you so much, Miguel. It's been a very insightful and stimulating yeah. conversation, and I invite us all. It's always interesting to reflect on our beliefs, reflect on what we think we know, just like we thought we know for we knew for millennia that. Uh, evolution by natural selection, or that this or that was legitimate. And yet science is always making these new leaps and bounds, and we are discovering new things all the time. And that's the beauty, in my opinion, of consciousness is getting to choose what we put our energy, what our attention goes into, whether it's a free will choice or not, is TBD, according to Miguel Ribeiro, who's been here with us today. Mm-hmm. So Miguel, any closing thoughts from you before we wrap today? No, perhaps one one interesting thing, but probably would take too long to explain, was why uh, mutation is not random. Can I have a minute just for that? Although I'm not sure if it will be sufficient. But for example, Darwinian evolution is thought to be gradual and, and due to point mutation, which is a random phenomenon. On contrary to that, most mutations... Uh, happen as a secondary feature after after modif- epigenetic modification. So what happens is there is initial epigenetic modification with 100% Lamarckian, and then after two or three generations, that it, it seems beneficial and appropriate for the environment for, in, in terms of adaptation, and mutation comes later. So not only mutation is not the primary factor, but mutation it falls in hot spots, not in, in, in the entire, by a chance, in, in, in the entire genome. In the specific hot spot, with something that ranges from one nucleotide to a bit, some, a bit over 100. So it's a tiny, minute speck of the genome. And uh, in, in addition, Darwinian mutation, this kind of mutation, is uh, also just for fine-tuning. That's not the major thing. In addition, there is adaptive mutation described by John Keynes in the 80s, over 30 years ago, still d- d- debated by some evolutionists. It's absolutely empirically demonstrated, and uh, it's not that it's just incompatible with random mutation. It is, it is, they are mutually exclusive. It doesn't make sense to have random mutation and adaptive mutation. Then the other kind of uh, mutation is through transposition. 
It was described in the, in, in the 40s, late 40s by McClintock and totally repressed by, by Darwinism because they wanted to remove all intentionality from the biology. And she, she earned later Nobel Prize in 30, 30 years later in, in the 80s. This is visually interesting to um, the, this kind of mutation, transposition, is equivalent to cut off a little page from a million page book. Because remember, the number of characters in the genome is the human genome is 3 billion. Put it at random in another page and get an improvement, not only of not only a, a, a meaningful passage, but the, an improvement in the entire book. That was that's what the impact of transposition has in biology. And after that, there was there's also the meaningful junk DNA. It then came the algorithms. Uh, so Leslie Valiant uh, came up with the idea that the organism is a computer and run by algorithms. The consciousness is another, etc. So we could go on forever here, but but so the, all the time, if whenever one asks a biologist, so how the evolution goes, random mutation, natural selection, natural selection. On the other hand, it selects for traits, which implies in uh, computation that doesn't select traits and not proteins. And traits imply computation. So actually natural selection supports the saltational views of the program hypothesis where the evolution that is important is of traits. Yeah, that is pretty incredible. I I just realized I was on mute. I was saying that we're all going to have to go back and re-listen to this because what you just said was so powerful. And I do remember reading about that in the book, that analogy of having this million page book and then just randomly tearing a piece out and putting it back in and how that is the equivalent of Darwinian's evolution by natural selection. I think that there's always so much more for us to learn out here, Miguel. And I just deeply appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. Many thanks, Jennifer. Yes. Thank you, my friend. And I believe the best place for people to go to find out about you and your photography as well as the book is miguelribeiro.com, correct? All right, let me see here. It's miguelribeiro.net. Sorry, miguelribeiro.net. So we'll be sure to go ahead and include that in the notes. And we deeply appreciate you for joining us today. Mm, Thank you very much. Yes, thank you so much. And intending that everybody out there maybe learned something new or thought of something new. I know I learned a lot of new things when I read Miguel's book, and I'm so grateful that you joined us today, my friend. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics dot com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.